right, you bunch of yahoos. Strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. And welcome back to another episode of Toxic Masculinity. We're here to offer up our political satire approach on views of both national and on an international scene. We are here to offend and defend anybody and everybody. We're just a couple of crotchety overts that have a bad habit of speaking the truth, but won't let a few facts get in the way of a good old story. We believe in America and Americans, and if this isn't for you, well, then I suggest you change the channel. We still believe in the freedom of speech, and we'll rub your face into the cow pie of reality. We'll make you scratch your head or scratch your ass, hopefully not at the same time. Without further ado, my cohort in crime, none other than the man of men, Don the Predator Fry, and I, his trusty, his trusty sidekick, Dan to be severed. And Quinn, uh, I mean, Don, do you have your sidekick Quinn there today? No, oh, sir, she wouldn't get off the couch. All right, so... Again, you know, Earl Hepner is, is our, our prestigious guest here today, and we're going to get into a great deal of the facts. Earl, just so that you understand, uh, Quinn is Don's uh, mascot, his his pet bull, you know. Okay. And typically, she she gives her cameos on the uh, on the podcast at different times, and sometimes she actually steals the show from uh, Mister Fry there as well. Yep, she does that good. She's She's uh, better looking and uh, smells better, you know, and smarter. So. Well, I knew that the last time I saw you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when was well, that? Oh, God. I can't remember. We were at some show when you were there. And I think you jumped in the ring. Yeah. That was... somebody and they had to hold you back. San Diego, correct? I think so. Yeah, that's when I ran back to the dressing room. I don't want to be around you. I didn't know who you were going to get. <laughs> well, I couldn't get much. My my arm wouldn't extend that much that time. You know, he's like like a Dan Severn arm. You know, the extensions to get that four inches of play. There you go. Earl, Earl, I mean, I say, how can you? I mean, for being involved in the professional wrestling for as many decades, years that, that that you've been involved in, how can you actually remember all the different little nuances? Don't, I mean, doesn't life just kind of blur after a while? Uh, it's beginning to. I'm getting older now. Hell, I can't remember what I did yesterday. Yeah. Well, I mean, but... <laughs> it, depends on, you know, it depends on what you did yesterday, whether you want to remember it or not, you know? Right. Like, once in a while, I'll uh, somebody say, hey, you want to referee? And I'll go, yeah, I'll referee. I said, but I don't want any false finishes. One guy can do a false finish and the other one, and after that, I'll be counting with my feet. I'm not going to get up and down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that, 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 I mean, that is the truth. I mean, when I, when I see how many times that referee gets up and down, I'm like, going, holy moly, it's like doing, you know, the burpee-type push-ups up like that, down again, down again, check them here, check them there. <laughs> it's uh, – <laughs> You got to be. You definitely have to have some type of athletic ability in order to do that. And I've seen some referees say, "Going, they're not built for this, and they're not going to last that long in the in, in that capacity." That's for sure. Oh hell, there was a there was an amateur uh, referee, wrestling referee here in Arizona. 
guy was so fat and out of shape, he would he would slap the mat with his foot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how how why they kept him around. Earl, to get this this really going to me now, I I want to find out first off how many other siblings do you have? What kind of what, what kind of a family? How big of a family did you grow up in? Because you know, I, I'm just I, I, as I was reading things. I'm, talk, I'm I'm reading about you have a son that's that's a referee. You're, you're, you're I think there's been at least uh, at least I mean you your identical twin brother, but others that have been referees. How many siblings do you have? Well, I, uh, my daughter uh, adopted her from China when she was two, and now she's working for AEW. She was wrestling, but she cracked a bone in her back, so she's out for a while. So she's still working, but she's doing production for them at TV. Wow. Okay. And then, that's... of course, you know my son, Brian. Yep, yep. Okay, because that's it. You know. And then my brother, you know, bless his heart. Well, I mean, okay, but did you only have one brother growing up then? Or did it's you have... Like I had one twin brother. That was Dave. Okay. And he passed away in June. Oh fuck! I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So, no, I, I did not know that as, as well. So yeah. Uh, sorry for condolences on, on that one. But like I said, like I told everybody, we were the, we were married for 30 years and never got a divorce. We traveled all up and down the roads together, and yeah. and, and you know it's uh it's heartbreaking, but nevertheless we enjoyed life what we had together. No, that's what I mean. Well, that's what what you got to do in in life. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, especially being involved in uh, something like professional wrestling because it's a lot of hard miles. You know, you're you're just on the road and you're traveling from one location to the next location. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of nice that, that that you actually like the people that that you're around or or at least travel in a car that you like those people that you're traveling with. How old were you when you get in the business? What's that? How old were you when you got in the business? I got. I was about 20, 18, between eighteen and twenty, I believe, nineteen or twenty, something like that. Yeah, for thirty years, huh? Yeah, I got. I, I'm, I'm running close to forty-five years. Jeez. So, so, but growing up, did you do other sports like in high school and stuff like that? Did you do any any other sports like wrestling or track or field or? Well, I tried to play football, be a halfback, but after they knocked me further than the football, I said, to hell with that. <laughs> so then I got into wrestling, and uh, hell, that's almost as bad. Yeah, I'm did. still getting beat up, knocked down. <laughs> yeah, but the people are your size, so it's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but wh where was growing up, though? Where, where, did, where were you born and raised? What, what part of the country? I was born in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia, okay. And I've been here all my life. You're a Robert E. Lee boy, huh? There you go. That was my elementary school. Yeah. When I first started school, I went to Robert E. Lee. It was uh, the first uh, school I went to. I'll be damned. I'll be damned. Yeah. My dad, we spent um, a couple of tours over in Richmond. My dad was at Station Langley a few times, you know, when he's in the Air Force. So we went there a couple of times. So, huh. Yeah, the old Richmond Coliseum. Oh yeah, many I, I refereed there. And when I first started, 
I was refereeing for uh, NWA, uh, Crockett, Jim Crockett Promotions, and we would have the wrestling on every Friday at the cattle barn at the fairground. And then we moved from there to the Richmond Arena. And then we moved from the Richmond Arena to the Richmond Coliseum. Okay, so you work with the NWA. Was your, was your first referee gigs? Right, right. I worked for them about 12 or 15 years. Well, again, what was it that, that drawed you in for for professional wrestling of all, of all things? I mean, I'm just, because again, I've, even though I've, I've done it, I, I, I've been, I say, I look at it from an outside viewpoint all the time because it's the strangest industry I have ever been involved with in my life. Uh-huh. Well, so. I'll tell you, I was putting a ring up on Fridays at the fairgrounds for the um, yep. for Joe Mernick, okay? It was called Crockett and Mernick back then. And uh, Mr. Mernick come up to me one night and we was putting the ring up. He said, Earl, I need you to do me a big favor. I said, what's that? He said, I need you to referee tonight. Uh, Mark, Angelo Martinelli had a heart attack and passed away from Charlotte to Richmond. So they didn't have a referee. So back then, you know, you only had one referee like Tommy Young and, and bless his heart. Great referee. And uh, Mr. Murnick, I don't know nothing about refereeing. He said, Earl, just listen. All you got to do is listen. I said, okay. So I started to do it. That, I did it that night. And I did so, okay. You know, for oh God, I didn't know what the hell he was doing. was pretty good. Okay. I, well, did, did, they, did, did they just give you a referee shirt and, and, and you, you won it from, from that point on? You didn't have no right. There you go. You know. But, but you know, but, but by being there every Friday, I got I got to know the guys pretty good. But uh -huh. never knew exactly how it all worked. And uh, they coached me through it. And then as time went on, Mr. Burnick said, "Well, hell, I can use you down through the Richmond Richmond deal, like Charlottesville, Roanoke, and all that." And that's how it began. And that's how I got my start. So okay, just okay, just so I I want me to put this up some people's context because. Typically, anyone that's involved in the show, you have to get there before the show ever starts because you're there setting up everything. So you're setting up the ring, right. ring chairs, barricades, things of that nature, even go. even up to the ref, uh, uh, the, the the locker room scenario and, and entrances and things of that nature. So, right. I, so correct spot on. You're right. And then and then I was doing the merchandise. When I was doing the ring before I refereed, I was selling the merchandise <laughs> and everything like that. And uh, it just worked in good. I mean, you know, I was at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Again, that's where a bit surprised laugh for me there. But I, I, I ran a small little promotion in Coldwater, Michigan as well. And it's the exact same thing. All the guys had to show up a couple hours before the show was ever going to start just right. so that we could set the ring on up, get all the chairs set up, get the locker room all set up there, know that you're you're good to go with, and you're in that locker room area basically before the doors ever open because you want to, you're trying to kayfabe, you're trying to keep this secret society kind of, you know, keep the, the public at, at questioning what is right. what is legit, what is not legit there. So again, yeah. yeah. But so. you know what, Dan, most of these guys, they only know what kayfabe is. This probably think it's a hamburger joint now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, no, it, it is. I, I I always tell people I was born in the wrong era. I really should have been back in, in the era of the territories because that 
that's what I would have been made for. I, I, I would rather have done that because, you know, as we talk about the cell phone here, once again, back in, in that territory that type of time, you could have worked with the exact same guy a hundred different times, all in the same year, easily. It's right. to the point that you knew each other so well, you would, you, you don't have to, you don't even have to think about nothing. The, the promoter simply tell you who's going to be going over tonight and how much ring time to fill fill in out there. And, and that was all you needed to know. And then you go right back there and go, Earl, I want you to do this. And then you can come back and do that. And, and right. even if you forgot things in, in the middle of the, the match, you've, you've wrestled each other for so many times, you'll, you'll get right back into the, the crook of things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, like all the years I've been around Rick, I didn't have to ask him nothing. I knew every spot, the ball shot, the nut shot, all the shit he did. All I had to see him do was move, and I knew what it was. That's, <laughs> that's all it was. And like you said, hell, he'll work in that match with him. Yes. You know? And a lot of guys, the same way. There's a bunch of them that I work with, The Undertaker, Austin, and all of them. And I, hell, I, could, I didn't have to ask them nothing. I, I just go, we do the same finish or you change it? Nope, same one. Okay, got it. Let's go. Yeah. Didn't when did, okay, when did technology start to come in? Because I know that when you first started, there was no uh, no like little uh, earpieces, stuff like that. In, but but then um, at, at some point, there was some type of, did you have some type of communication um, microphone or something like that, that that you could use in case someone got hurt for real or if if the gorilla had to get in contact with you, did 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 you have some type of an earpiece or something like that in at that time? Right. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly, uh, I'm going to take credit for a lot of that because uh, when I first started, it was the guy sitting at the desk, and he put the pencil in his mouth. That was the cue. I was good to go home. The pencil was the cue to go home. Okay. And then he would tell you he'd hold his fingers up. And tell you five minutes, and then he'd go four minutes, three minutes, and and that. And sometimes the guy doing the cue would go to sleep because he <laughs> held it all day. He'd be sitting out like this, and all of a sudden you can't see him. So I actually come up. Well, I'll say I did anyway because I think I did with the cue box. Okay. We had the same cue box that the tra TV trailers have and the, and the agents have sitting at the gorilla. And that's had, that's had that happened. And, you know, like the cue box, uh, they, uh, they can say, uh, tell them to grab a hole when they see a guy blowing up or, or shit looks like crap. They tell them, grab a hole, grab a hole. And I'll say, grab a hole, you know. And, uh, and then it's, it's so important. It really is when a guy gets hurt, First thing we do is give an X. If he's hurt, it's an X. And if he's okay, you just raise your arm or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's just a kind of arm gesture right there. Yeah. So you kind of know that if he's okay. Yeah, because you're, you're, again, we're, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're opening up Pandora's box to a certain extent, even though kayfabe has been dead for, for quite a few years. And it was, uh, again, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but what it was Vince himself that broke kayfabe because by him, uh, going to the athletic commission saying that we are a predetermined um, outfit to where, you know, it's we know, yes, we have yeah, fallen into that entertainment category to where, you know, that way 
they didn't have to worry about all the different athletic commissions. And they didn't have to pay. And they didn't have to pay all the taxes. That was yes. the main thing for it. They got away with paying the damn taxes. They gave K favor away, so they, so they could make more money and not pay taxes. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's just because you know, a lot of people they'll say, yeah, because you know, both both Don and I, we've had dual careers in, in the 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 MMA and professional wrestling, and a lot of people that come up because I'll, I'll typically have two belts I'll put on display. I always have one from the NWA, and then I have one from the UFC, and they all know what the UFC is, but they're like, well, what is NWA? Stand for now. Say it's the National Wrestling Alliance. It's actually the one of the oldest professional companies in in the history of, of professional wrestling. A lot of great uh, people came from that uh, came from that lineage. And uh, then, like, well, I mean, you mean like the stuff what we see on television? And then, and then, and then they always say they always go into you mean that fake stuff? I go well. I go don't say fake. I said you know professional wrestlers are some of the most incredible athletes. Doing some most incredible athletic maneuvers without the aid of safety net. When you see what they're being picked up and they're being down to, it's a uh, it's plywood, it's uh, two by twelves. Um, you know, one inch of star foam, which ain't nothing, and yeah. it hurts. Yeah. I, well, again, most professional wrestlers don't even realize when they are they they just call it bumping. But right. they most professionals don't realize when they are being taken over and to be you know thrown into like a a body slam or something like that, they need to uh, hit like like a martial artist. You want to hit with as much body mass as possible so that you dissipate that. You don't want to end up land on an elbow or something like that. You could dislocate your shoulder or something like that. You got to land as flat as possible and then tuck that chin to chest because you don't want to be smacking the back of your head. Right, exactly. So. Did you, like, did you like it right away or did it grow on you? Huh? Did you like the sport, the job right away, or did it have to grow on you? It has to grow on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> what would be what was, what, I mean, was it was there a fun match that you just always look forward to knowing that knowing that you would have well again. Maybe I'll let me rephrase this, because I know that uh, pulling ribs on, on wrestlers was one thing, but it's kind of like going. They're always they're always trying to make people break character. So were there any, were there any wrestlers that that always would try to help, maybe help make break your own character stuff like that, to where you start laughing stuff like that, because you're trying to you're trying to be this, you know, your uh, official stuff like that. But now you got these wrestlers that. You know, they're, they'll 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 stoop to any kind of a low thing just to get to get something over on you or to get you to break uh, break your character. So, did were you were you ever at the 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 brunt of any of these jokes? For years, every time I did a mat, uh, a midget match, they'd be having pin, and I go one two, and he pop up, and I would catch him, and I throw him back. Okay, and then one, two, and catch him again and throw him back. And once in a while, we do a spot with them where they tackle me, knock me down, and they cover me, and the other, other midget would go one, two, and I'd kick out. <laughs> but but that, that was a lot of fun, you know. And, uh, like, I've done a lot of things with uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, I've hip-tossed him. 
arm, arm drag him, and he come charging, and I'll pull the rope, and he'll take a bump out. But you know that's what they, that's what they, those guys did for me, and all of them, Flair and all of them. They gave me the opportunity to do things that other referees don't do anymore, or can't do, or won't do, and that's what made me uh, sort of special or different. How was it? How was it like working with Harley Race? Harley was great. Yeah. When I, when we we go to St. Louis and he was working with Flair, that was I mean that was just a match that could never be duplicated. Right. That was two great guys in there and Harley was awesome. I mean I I've never seen the guy take a body slam and pop up, take another one, take another. Hell, he take fifteen of them and pop right up, and I couldn't believe it. What about Terry Funk? Oh, <laughs> he, he was a character. He was great. He was super. I, I mean, you know, if you go back and look down at all these old guys like myself, uh, it's just not not the same no more. Right. You don't have the same uh, uh, atmosphere or whatever you want to call it. It's just, uh, you what's know, back then, what's, back what's then, huh? What's missing? Everybody wants to do hot spots. Nobody wants to tell a story. Right. It's right. it's fifty hot spots, forty elbows, uh, clotheslines. It's it's uh it's like being at NASCAR, going right. going. You're looking like this, and you're not telling a story. And people, you know, are just not interested in all that. You know. Yeah. That's my thoughts. Yeah, yeah, mine too. I mean, I miss the storytelling of the of the business, you know. And uh, but you know, I worked in Japan only, and over there is so strange because you know, one night Dan and I would be fighting each other, you know, to the death, and then the next night we'd be tag team partners, uh, <laughs> and I could I could never figure it out, you know. And the, uh, well, when I was over in Japan. The only time you got a pop when it was a high spot, a big toss, a big bump, and after that it was went quiet. And then when you started coming back and do a high flying, all the high flying shit, right. they pop. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but over there, when you wrestled, you told a story. You didn't right. do you didn't do eighty hip tosses and clotheslines and all that all that crap. You wrestled, and it was interesting. Then when you did do a high spot. Back then, in my days over there, they go crazy. Yeah. Well, who'd you like working with the most? God, I don't know. I've worked. Uh, yeah, that's a hard one answer. I, I get that a lot, but I'll. I mean, I mean, if you take The Rock, Austin, Undertaker, Hogan, uh, all those guys, the old guys, uh, it, it's hard to say. Everybody always says, "What, what was my famous match?" Well, hell. I've had so many WrestleMania matches. All of them, all of them are great. I can't, I can't, I can't name the only one I can really name. The most surprising one that I did to the world was me and my brother and Hulk Hogan in the Twin Deal. Yeah. And that that was that stage had ever made it to be kayfabe till it happened. I'll never know. But nobody knew but about five people back then. Yeah. And that was Hogan, Vince, Pat Patterson, me, my brother, and D.B.I.C. and all those guys. But he never got out. 
that I know of. Yeah. I tell you, Terry Funk was one of my favorite people on the planet, you know. Uh, he, was he, he, he would he would kill me when he come out with that chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a uh, I, it's a good thing I didn't have that match because I'd have probably gotten fired because that was, I could laugh from from the time he I heard it running till the time he cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about superstar Billy Graham? You ever work with him? Right, yep, yep. He was awesome. Yeah. He was a great guy. Nice guy. Uh, he was such a nice guy. And he was so polite. Yeah. So polite. You know, I don't think I ever seen him go off. Might have, but I've never been around him when he, when he did. If he ever went off on anybody, I wasn't there. Right. I didn't I'll see it. You know, uh, he, Billy was 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 awesome guy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. You were, you were talking about uh, Terry Funk there. And one of the funniest things was, uh, I happened to be, it was a Hell in the Cell match that was taking place. So you've got Undertaker and Mick Foley that are battling. And uh, and I'm back there with Terry Funk and, and one or two of the other wrestlers. We're just watching, we're watching a match on a monitor. And Terry's got his tennis shoes all, all untied. He's, he's, he's kicked back. He's relaxed, choke slams, uh, fully. Yep, yep, uh, fully. He, 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 he basically he goes through, but he goes the 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 top of the cage went through. It just gave way too fast, knocks himself out. Right. You got a live show, live pay per view. He's knocked out, and so it's kind of like going all, all of a sudden, they're like send send funk into yeah. where he doesn't know what he's about to do or not like that. He's going to go out there. He's going to try to do battle. And so people are going to try to get in there to see if they can, if they can get to uh Foley to see, you know, if, if, he's, if he's alive or whatever at that point in time. And it was just kind of just wild because no, no one really knew this was happening. This is a live pay-per-view and it's all just simply just taking place. And uh, all I know is that by the time that, uh, you know, Foley comes to, he looks around, he sees a pair of tennis shoes inside the ring and he didn't he didn't know what all took place and that funk had been out there and been choke slam right out right out of his tennis shoes stuff like that so these are that's the one thing that i always impressed me about the whole professional wrestling community right there is like when something goes wrong which it will do uh whether it's that someone's going to get hurt or if there's some equipment failure if a, if if a rope breaks or something like this how are those athletes going to improvise or how how is the crew going to <laughs> improvise to make sure people don't get hurt and the show must go on that's right. uh you've had to see some phenomenal things happen over the over the, the decades it's quick thing it's quick thinking you know what i mean i mean that's like uh when Austin was wrestling uh Owen Hunt yeah uh, they did a spot where Austin hit the mat and he go and I walk up to him and he says, Heaven, I think my neck's broke. I think my neck's broke. I think I broke my neck. I said, Okay, stay right there. Owen's messing with the crowd, right? I walk up to Owen, I look at him in the face. I said, Owen, his neck's broke, I think. So back up. Just back up and roll over him and lay there. Let him pin you. Pin you so we can get out of here. But that's that's what you call a uh, a referee that knows what the hell is going on. Yeah. 
you know. And and once he said, I think my neck's broke, I knew we were in trouble. We couldn't continue. Not so much to be in trouble, but I, I didn't want him to pick him up and slam him or do nothing else. Yeah, right. I said, back right up, just roll over him and let him roll, let him grab your legs or whatever, and I'll count when we get out of here. And that's what we did. Same way with uh, uh, Triple H pedigreed, uh, I mean, yeah, pedigreed uh, Kurt Angle on the table. Now, now it's his table at a pay-per-view, and he was knocked out bad. And he got back in the ring, and he goes, Hebner, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? And I was trying to lead him and tell him, you know. And then when when Triple H uh, uh, covered him, I went one, two. I knew he wasn't going to kick out. And I slid my left hand under his shoulder with this hand coming down, and I put my arm under his shoulder and pushed him up. Because I knew he wasn't going to kick out. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell everybody, if you could ever go back and look at that film, look at it. You could see it. And I tell all these other referees, you got to be on the ball. You got to know what's going on. If a guy's hurt, then, you know, take a bump. Just walk in front of somebody, take a bump, and ring, ding, 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 and get out. Don't let somebody, like uh, Tatanka was slamming the guy one night and broke his arm. His bone was sticking out. I saw it. And I said, Tonka, his arms broke, covering, covering. And he said, really? I go, yeah. So he went right over. And I said, just covering. And I went one, two, three. And, and we went back. And the, the bone was sticking out of his arm. Uh, but I've always been where I want to protect everybody. I'll try to. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you and, and, and I can see it. When a nasty bump happens, it, it's I, I can almost know it's nasty so first thing i do is go you okay you okay tell me squeeze my finger squeeze my finger squeeze my hand and that's how i do it and if you can't do it i'll just ring a bell you know you because i don't want to see no if it, if it's a small injury i don't want it to be a serious injury yeah sure well you took a pretty nasty bump from hogan in that twins match did that yeah. that goes planned or did he fuck that up that was messed up. Yeah. <laughs> he was supposed to take me, Don, and take me and just throw me right to their arms, okay? Yeah. When he started running with me, I go, this ain't the program. <laughs> he shot me. Boom. I went over Andre, DiBiase, and everybody. And I spun in my rotor cup in my arm. As soon as that happened, it didn't bother me then because I was so fired up and excited. Yeah. And then, you had adrenaline in your system at that point in time, yeah. And then I was flying home the next day, and, and the pressure on the plane, I, I, I couldn't move it. So I called Vince, and they sent me to Birmingham to Dr. Andrews, and he checked it out, and the whole rotor cup was just busted all up. So I went down there uh, like two or three days later, and he, he operated on me and said, oh, you, you won't be here long. I stayed a week because I couldn't stop it bleeding after they operated on it. So, and that was my first day at the at WWF. Then it was a Saturday night main event or something. I think it was called in Indianapolis. Yeah. So that was my first night there, and I spent eight weeks at a health cell up in Virginia getting therapy. So, so Hogan, Hogan, wow. your favorite wrestler. <laughs> 
<laughs> you volunteer not to work with him after that? <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't do any any tossing bumps anymore. Yeah. <laughs> everything's, everything's on the mat. Hit me, knock me, I'll hit the mat. I ain't hit the floor no more. How about Andre? Did you work with Andre? Oh, God, I loved him. Yeah. Let me tell you a story about Andre. We were uh, at a house show, and it was a day before the Madison Square Gardens, and it was in a tag team, and they were doing a spot, and Andre grabbed me right by the forehead to hold me, okay? And the next day, I woke up. My yeah. eyes were black. From uh, the pressure of his hand, and then when we flew from where we were to Madison Square Gardens, they were as black as your shirt. Yeah, I couldn't see, so I couldn't work. And I walk up to Andre. I say, Andre, look, you did this. He goes, No, boss, not me. I go, Yeah, you. I said, <laughs> you held me, you put too much pressure on my forehead, and you made my eyes go black. Oh shit. Wow, that that that's actually hard to believe. That uh, I mean, I I knew the hit. You know, yeah, obviously he was a giant, but I mean, an enormous man. But it, it amazed me when he they could take like a beer can and he could he could engulf the whole beer can with the, with his uh, big old mitt of a hand right there. But wow, it, I, it, I actually don't. I actually think he never knew his own strength when he was working, because he he would have never hurt me to begin with. Sure, that was just one of those deals where he just. You know, it was him. Now, who was bigger, him or Paul Wright? Huh? Uh, who oh. was bigger, Andre or Paul Wright? Andre. Yeah. He was a he was a real giant, where Paul was just a big man, huh? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I wrestled for Antonio Inoki. You know, we were pretty good friends. He'd, huh. he'd tell me, you know. Uh, Andre stories and they're pretty, pretty damn impressive, you know. <laughs> but I did, I did, uh, Inoki's retirement match, you know, uh, Tokyo Dome, and it's a 70,000 seat arena. They sold out and then they sold 5,000 standing tickets too. Mm. And it was like six, five, six hour long show. And it was like, I was backstage and I was getting tired, you know. I couldn't believe the yeah, I couldn't believe the poor people. I was sitting backstage with Muhammad Ali, you know, because he was there to light the torch like he did at the um Atlanta Olympics. And because uh, they were great friends, you know. And uh went out there. It was supposed to be, you know, 20, 30 minute retirement match, you know, saying goodbye to all the fans. I went out there in fucking two and a half minutes. I broke broke three of his ribs. Hey. Broke three of his ribs, and uh, then we went home real fast. You can still talk. I'll get the charger. I had to tell them my battery was running low on my computer. They're putting another one in. Okay. Oh. Putting another one in? You got to charge it out. You don't put another I'll one. charge it or whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know, no. I know nothing about the damn computer. They had to set it all up for me. Yeah, well, that's, that's that that's what I was talking about in the very beginning. Technology, how it has. Right. I mean, I tell you, what impressed me when I first, literally on my very first day working with the WWF at the time, 
was when I arrived at the building. Again, just just what it didn't matter what, what the building was at, but there would be like I don't know two or three different tractor trailers that would be there. Right. But the it seemed like miles of cords going oh. every direction, and right. as soon as you walk into that building, there would be a wall, and you'd have all these pieces of paper on the wall. It'd be like Vince's office this way, cafeteria that way, locker room this way. You know, right. uh, I mean, it just. But but it was great. I mean, I mean, the fact that it was like it was like an army of people that came on board, and they simply knew that. We we gotta get this. We gotta get, get all this stuff done. It's gotta get done in pretty quick time. Uh, and you know, I, I just simply knew that the first the first couple times that I was getting there, there's nobody else there. I mean, all the tech tech uh, I'll say the technology people laying all the cords and, and setting up the sign stuff like that. I was told that you know derived like around one o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm like the only wrestler that's getting there, and I kept thinking. Why do I have to be here so early when the show doesn't go on until you know late that that evening? And I kept right. well, I I found out later why because you never knew what kind of shape some of the wrestlers would show up in, and right. uh, and, and and I used to say that they had so much staff there that they'll sober you up if you lost your if you lost your duffel bag and you lost your costume they got a couple seamstresses there that they'll whip out an, another costume for you in, in the next hour or two they will do everything in their power except wrestle the match for you but if it's like day two of taping they could even wrestle that match for you as well i was really impressed with that overall operation it's just like wow this is it is so spot on what they're what they're doing with this, but again, I I kind of understood some of the wrestlers. I I I I don't really don't think a lot of the wrestlers knew the opera or understood the opportunity that was given to them, and they started to, I think, take for granted that uh, that they're there, they're a superstar, and you know they just I don't know I just. I just I just tend to sit back to Cornette. I, I had a real good uh, rapport with uh, Jim Cornette, even though I really did not know the guy. But he would see me at the the cafeteria early on, and uh, he's like, he'd say, "Well, what are you doing there, Dan?" I I'd always have my my planner with me, and my my cell phone. I'm I'm just working and doing this, doing that in preparation. What else I could do? Because you know, a lot of the rules did not pertain to me because I was I was on kind of a, a unique contract. I only was working. Uh, I think 60 dates a year is all I was working. And everyone else was working, I think, like a like 200 dates, something like that. Right. Yeah, that that that, that doesn't count. I mean, and if you're one of the superstars and you're on all these pay-per-views, you're working a whole lot more because there's a lot more marketing things that you have you're involved with, promotional type of stuff that you brought brought, brought into. So it was, I'll say that I was I saw it all and uh, took it all in, but it's kind of like going, I really wasn't a part of it, although I was a part of it. You know, I just, right. I, I never was in it, into it real, real deep wise. I kind of knew that Vince did not know how old I was. Even, <laughs> even, even when Vince finally found out how old I was, he was shocked because I think the ink was still drying on, on the paper when I went, when I was in his office. Uh -huh. And uh, 
and he had Jim Ross in there with them and a couple of other people. And also it's just, just to a couple of questions and stuff like that were being asked. And also Vince like, well, well, how old are you? And I go 48. And, uh, and uh, he looks right over Jim Ross and goes, well, who's the oldest rookie ever? And, and, and uh, Jim Ross just points straight back and he goes, dad. And, but I didn't, it's kind of like my hair was always gray all the, the whole time. My mustache my, and my hair was gray. I just colored it all the time that I was working for e either working for WWF at the time or when I was working with uh, UFC uh -huh. because I simply knew, well, first off, you know, walking into a real cage and then walking into a real fight there, um, I'm not going to give anyone a psychological edge. Say, well, look at look at this old guy out here. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm about to light him on up here. No, 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 no. I'm going to keep it all dark and dashed looking so that, you know, <laughs> get yep. a little bit of a psychological edge right there. So it was, no, I was really impressed with the whole aspect of uh, the show and just all the people that came together with, I hate to say it like this, but with the wrestlers being probably the biggest goof-offs in the world, knowing that they, they, they did not realize the opportunity that is being bestowed upon them or the opportunity being bestowed upon them. Can you, well, I know you can, but you can imagine all the guys, a lot of them that blew that opportunity. Oh, yes. Hard. Well, but, but, okay. Earl, do you think it's because when they, when they get there, they're they're influenced? Because I mean, I I, I learned new voc vocabulary type words in there because if I never heard the word gear before before being being in in, in the, the locker room, they're like going because I'm I'm in the locker room and I'm just waiting around and I'm just waiting because I'm, I'm I'm a newbie there. I'm just waiting around. I've got my duffel bag. I'm using it as a pillow, just lay back there watching while the the antics of what's taking place and guys are coming in, but uh, you know, you're seeing some guys that are, that are like, you know, you know, did they're like, Earl, do you, do you need any gear? I go, I'm trying to think of myself. Well, what's, what's gear? I don't even know what gear is, you know? And, and, but, but you name it. And, and, and it was there prevalent of, you know, it, the road is tough. You might need an amphetamine in the morning to get you up and get you going. Hold on one second. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. Okay, I'm good. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll wrap up here in just a little bit. Then oh, after, that's okay, that's okay. I'm in no hurry. Yeah, but again, it just it just it just you know being on the road like that. Some guys they need some something to get them up, get them going in the morning. It wasn't a cup of coffee, but they need they, they took like an amphetamine or something like that to get them up, get them going. Right. You know, and they you know they they got to work out. So now they they're trying to find that local gym to go work out. But then you know now there's but they're also now they're sharing other stuff like. You know what a type of you know steroids that they of that nature. Well, you need something to put you down, go to sleep there at night. So it, it it's a vicious cycle of a lot of chemicals that are going in, and then when you find you know when you hear the passing of one of these wrestlers at a very young age, it's like you know due to the chemical cocktails that uh, kind of went their body. That's kind of it it's it's it, it's it's a sad ordeal and a sobering type of awakening. But it's it's a tough. It's a tough, it's a tough life. And people, I, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Well, you know, when I first went there, uh, they go out like 40, we work 45 days and go home for a week. So you get injured, you get hurt, you need something for pain. And 
you didn't have time to get well real quick. No. If, if you lost your, if you went home, if you lost your spot, you didn't have it when you came back. Mm. And that's what, you know, you had to be there to keep, to, to save that spot for, for yeah. yourself. You didn't want somebody else to get your spot. And that's how it worked for a long time. And then it finally got down to, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, we worked when everybody just went off on the deep end. We worked like uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and do Raw Monday and go home. And then go back next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and do Raw. Monday and do Raw and go home. That saved a lot of them. It does, but at the same token, that's rough on a home life, especially if, you're, if your family's back in one location and you're just there doing this. It's, uh, right. you know. Right. Right. Exactly. You're, again, I would say you're, you're you're living the lifestyle of a traveling salesman. Really, is what what you are. I mean, because just you're 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 traveling all over just to you know provide for your family. But it it, it just it, it's usually leads to the breakdown of the family. What is what happens? Exactly. So, what what I mean that that's a little bit a little more sadder type note. What what kind of what kind of stuff do you do? What preoccupies your your time now, Earl? Well, uh. uh... I do. I'm sort of a maintenance man around my house. I, I have a garden during the summer, and I cut my grass and I go to the gym now and then, which is now and then. But other than that, <laughs> uh, you know. Well, I, again, I, I mean, I, 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 are are you on the honeydew list? Is that what it is? What you have to you have all these honeydew things that to too. do? That too. Then I have chickens. I, you know, I raise chickens. Do you? Have fun with them. Well, I mean, do, do you feel my mask? Because again, I, I, I come from that farm boy background. What kind of chickens do you have, and how many of them do you have? I got, I got about ten. But okay. I got, I got some that lays brown eggs, white eggs, and colored eggs, Easter eggs. But I just let them run loose every day. I let them out about ten o'clock every day. They run around the yard. They follow me everywhere I go. They're like pets, really. Yeah. They're awesome, and I just love them. You know. I, and have to eat, all, majority of my eggs I give away to my neighbors, you know, because I just enjoy uh, going down every morning, let them out and get the eggs and walk around the yard. And they follow me like a dog and and uh, everything. Well, I mean, but, but, chick, but a lot of people realize chickens really keep, keep down on, on a lot of insects and uh... yeah, a lot of mosquitoes. They eat the hell out of mosquitoes. Yeah, and yeah, everything you know, ticks, yeah. eight ticks, and everything. Yeah, again, going back on, on my farm days, each spring we would get probably somewhere between three, four hundred chickens, chicks uh, that would come in, and we would have them pretty much up until late in the fall, and then come fall, there would be the Saint Valentine's Day massacre. All right, <laughs> so but we would keep so many the good layers of eggs, we would keep the, those hands throughout the winter months, because again, I have seven other brothers and sisters. I'm second on the totem pole. So we got 10, 10 family members. So it was, uh, oh, I ate a lot of eggs. I still eat a lot of eggs. So yeah. But yeah. Pe I'll say that nutrition wise, you know, they, 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 uh, they being the, 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 the food administration people, they, they looked at the egg as a bad thing, but and now it's, it's a good thing. It's kind of like going, it's, it's hard, it's hard to believe what, uh, 
what what are they going to come up with next? Coffee was bad for you. Coffee's good for you now. Is that going? It's going to go for full circle again? But no, one year it's sugar. Next year it's a sugar replacement. You know? And then uh, it's just crazy the way they they change. You know, it's whoever's given the most money is how they uh, conform yeah. their thoughts. Well, Earl, is there any kind of like you know, any like social media outlet? And if someone's trying to get in contact with you or would like to ask you any kind of questions, stuff like that, do you have any kind of like a a, a website or? Uh... I'll have to get my wife to give you that. I'll get her to give it to me. But uh, I just come out with my new book right here. It's Earl okay, Earl Hepner, the official. When, 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 okay, is that brand new? Out? Yeah, it just come out. Uh, it's it's on a pre order right now, so I don't have any, but I'm I'm gonna be getting some. Uh, well, no, this no, this is perfect because we, you know anyone that 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 sees us about about uh, about your again is this a combination of stories of the different people you worked with? I mean, well, it's got it's got from the time I started. It's got uh, the biggest thing about the book. Well, my life is in it, and then it's about the Montreal screw job that everybody has asked me for the last 30 years, and I never gave out anything about it. I give ifs, ands, and buts, but the whole story is right here. Right ah. here. Hi. Yeah, see, that's cool. You, you got the dangling character going there. The Montreal screw job is, is, is all included inside the book by the book. Right. And it's a, and, and if you look back, it's the uh, it's not a bullshit story. It's the official story from the official guy. <laughs> no bullshit here. I'm surprised you weren't wearing a referee shirt here tonight. Huh? I was surprised that you weren't wearing a referee shirt there tonight. Oh, I, I was. Well, Neither one of us is good enough workers, so he's not going to get involved in it. <laughs> You can order the book at earlhebnofficial.com. Okay, Tony. Tony wants to know how's your relationship with Brett now. We're good. Good. We're good. We uh, met uh, about two years ago. We were at uh, indie shows, and he was there, and I was there, and he called. Believe it or not, he called me and my brother out to the ring. And I go, okay, here comes a good ass whipping. And uh, we got in the ring, and he uh, put us over like a million dollars. And uh, it wow, was, nice. It was, great. it was great. And in fact, uh, on Instagram now, it, it'll, it'll tell you that uh, I did a po podcast with somebody, I can't remember who it was. And uh, uh, they talk, we talked about Brett, and he got pictures of us, and uh, we're good friends. And I had that, uh, you, I used to have that shirt that says, damn right I did, referee shirt. And uh, people would want, would want me to put on it, I screwed Brett. Somebody asked me that the other day on a podcast, and I said, I'm not doing that shit. I said, we're friends, and I'm not letting a $12 shirt kill my friendship with Brett now. Yeah. yeah no way. But we, we're good buddies now. We call each other now and then and uh, everything. You know, when my brother passed away, he called me. And, and all that, we call each other around uh, Christmas time and wish each other Christmas. And, and we talk now and then, you know, it's not like every day, but maybe, maybe, yeah, every three months we'll talk, call, and see how each other's doing. So we're cool. Thank God. Nice. Yeah. Hey, what's that, what's that horseshoe and trophy behind you? 
Oh, that's a that's a Santa Claus and a lamp or some shit. Oh, the horseshoes. There's a horseshoes behind it. Next yeah. to the next to the Santa Claus. Oh, that's a that's two knives with the bent handles. It's two what? It's, it's two knives. Nice. Oh, I thought it looked like a horseshoe from here, Burner. Don, what the hell are you drinking? I ain't good enough. <laughs> Let me see that Joe Ice tea again. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, any other place would be a bottle of bourbon, you know, but we got, uh, we got some buddies that make uh, toxic masculinity bourbon. Uh, <laughs> pretty good stuff. Well, you know what? I hope down the road I'll get to see you guys again at, a, at, some, at a convention or something. Yeah. No, I, but, uh, again, the, uh, do, you, do you do the the convention circuit right now? Yeah, I've got one. Uh, I'm gonna do the WrestleMania one. Uh, you know, the one they have where they sell all the merchandise. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's at the building next to WrestleMania. Okay. Where's WrestleMania this year? It's in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. What's the date? Uh, it's in April, first or second week in April. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they typically have it the same 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 time. You know, each each year, just the, the locations are going to be different. Right. They, they tend to spread the wealth out around the United States there quite a right. bit. Whoever gives them the best deal, I'm sure. Well, that is part of the, part of the business, right there, Clender Don. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, no, sir. Go ahead. Okay. No, no I, I, I think I'm going to say there. I, I, I want to be kind there about uh, Earl's uh, time here tonight. So, uh, unless you got a couple other questions there, I, I definitely want to people to know that, uh, yeah, that uh, Earl's got his uh, new book out, and the best way of contacting him is simply just go to EarlHebnerOfficial.com. Yeah. And that 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 way they can uh, get in contact with Earl and uh, see if they can get one of his uh, his newly released books here right now. Is this your first book, Earl? Oh, and I got a uh, I got an action figure coming out on the Asylum Asylum Company. Uh huh. Uh, they just made two action figures of me, and uh, I, I was hoping to get them this week, but uh, they. Uh, uh, whatever it is, they're back ordered. But uh, I'm such a famous guy; they just keep going fast. But <laughs> just kidding. But, uh, well, let, let me just let us let us know when they do come in and stuff like that, because then then we'll get uh, maybe we we'll get a couple different pictures and we'll, we'll add this into the uh, the episode when it comes on out to where we can you know add that there to give you a little bit more a little bit more traction on some okay. things right there. So again, it's a uh, EarlHebnerOfficial.com is a way of uh, contact you to look for right. the book here and, and know that uh, that one, but we a couple of different action figures uh, that are coming on out. Is that your well. first book? Huh? Is that your first book? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your only book, one and only, huh? Okay. I don't know why I waited till I got so damn old, but <laughs> anyway, but that it's all right here. Now, and especially the cliffhanger is all the details on the Montreal screwdriver is all, all inside there. So again, it's and right, right from the horse's mouth himself. So right. there you go. The big Tell seller. Them the, guess, 
Tell them the guessing game is over. It's all right here. <laughs> all right. Well, then, gentlemen, uh, Earl, I'm going to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. Have a very Merry Christmas because it's, it's coming up this weekend. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again there, my friend, down the road here. Says I, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I still crisscross the country there quite, quite a bit there doing uh, seminars and speaking engagements. So uh, I know I'll be in Virginia again there this coming summer. So I'll, I'll, I'll look at before you go, I was with one somewhere I can't think, but your wife was with you. And I can't remember where in the hell it was. It was at some okay. kind of fairgrounds. Uh, and the Butterbean was there too. Okay. But I can't remember where it was, but I was telling the night, I said, hell, I, I saw him and his wife at, at one of the uh, conventions or something. But anyway. Yeah. Again, we'll meet up again there. There you go. Oh, we hope to, hope to see you in the Hall of Fame soon, partner. Uh, okay, yeah, definitely, you should, you should be in there. Well, you know, but anyway, hey, thank you guys very much for having me, and uh, I hope I'll get another chance to come back on the show. Yeah, definitely, you're, you're, you're real man. I'm actually this is probably one of the first times that Don Fry didn't have his own black cowboy hat on there too. I got yeah. thinking I, I would have been the only one that would have been out of out uh, of the the picture. I'm wearing this in case Jr. needs more time off. Maybe I can fill in. <laughs> <laughs> always, always planning. Got to be always planning. One step ahead of the game, right there. Always Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner, thank you for being on there tonight. Earl Hebner official dot com for getting contact with him for his book. Take care, my friend. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, yep. sir. Bye, bye now. Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like subscribe and share or I'm going to come to your house.